0: Well, today, in every Lord's Day, we adore the goodness of the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We acknowledge that sin has separated us from the glorious goodness of a merciful God, and that God has acted in human history. God chose the Jews to represent him to the nations. He gave them the sacrificial system that foresignified or fore stated the coming of the ultimate Messiah who would die on the cross for our sins as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in the fullness of time, the eternal God did become a man who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose victorious over death, ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And The question is, how how do we participate in that and get the full reality of that, the Bible says that we do that when we repent of our sin and believe in Jesus. It's simple. John 1 says, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed upon his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of a husband's will or of their own desire, but born of God. So you you receive the gift of faith by turning from sin and running to the cross and saying, the living God died on the cross for my sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so as we understand that and as we invite you to consider that, if you've never committed your life to Christ, God has also appointed for his people channels of empowerment which refresh and give us strength. Because there's a world system that slowly or quickly or very very adroitly silences the voice of Christ in our life. So the voice of hope and laughter and purpose can be replaced by confusion and noise and uncertainty. So, so what are these channels of empowerment? Well, I've been talking about in the last few weeks how for commitments that you're devoted to lead or empower you to live a life of awe before God. The church was devoted to, in Acts chapter 2, the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to rich relationships, to worship and then to prayer. And today we come to this issue of prayer. These, this will Strengthen us and give us grace and hope and advance the kingdom in us. We are devoted to prayer. It's interesting that in the book of Romans, when Paul is talking about our privilege as children of God, he says this, he says, that there's, there's a, when you come to know Jesus, there's a reflex in your spirit that makes you want to cry out, Abba, Father, in prayer. Romans eight fifteen says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back. Into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and we cry out, Abba Father. There's a reflex in our spirit when we cry out, Abba Father. And so this morning I'm going to give you a very brief and basic discussion, biblically speaking, on on prayer. We're to be devoted to prayer. You see, the Christian life. In a fallen world is a, is a life of, of joyful desperation. You have both. The, the, see, prayer is fighting against the status quo. Prayer is saying with all your heart, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is saying, I want your purposes in my life, almighty God, in your triune splendor. So, So it's all about... Joyful desperation. There's a little book here called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. The Puritan century was 1560 to 1660. And this is a compilation of prayers. It's a leather-bound little book given to me by my daughter a few years ago. And I I, I will sometimes pick up this book and go through the prayers in here and just pray them and think through them. This past week I was reading a, a prayer entitled The Dark Guest the dark guest. And, and you will not hear these words or see them printed in greeting card section at the local, at the local drugstore. You just won't. And this, is, this is strong stuff. And as I read this, my, my question, I'm just going to read up a bit. Is this really biblical or is this an overstatement? Is this the overstatement of a, of a man who's incredibly introspective or is it biblical? Listen, Right as a believer, O oh, my lifelong damage and daily shame. O oh, my indwelling and besetting sins, oh the tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. Destroy, O oh God, the dark guest within, whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. But you have not left me here without grace. The cross still stands and meets my needs in the deepest moments of the soul. The memory of my great sins and my many temptations and my falls bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of your great help, of your support from heaven, and of the great grace that I have been saved by a wretch like me. So I I ask myself, well, self, is is this, just listen again. In part, uh, the tormenting slavery of a sinful heart. Destroy, O God, the dark guest within, whose hidden presence makes my life a hell. I thought, yeah, I think it is biblical. Romans 7, Paul says, the good things I want to do, I don't always do. And the bad things I don't want to do, I sometimes do. And then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? So that's why I say, Prayer and worship is is joyful desperation. There are sometimes you say, God, I've hit a wall again in my relationship with my child. Or my wife and I are are communicating. Or I'm not a stout-hearted, brave man. I am a vacillating, weak man. Or I have succumbed to some of the sudden deficits of the Middle Ages. Gluttony, sloth malicious covetousness, lying, or maybe to the trioka of First John chapter 2, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Oh God, have mercy upon me. Life is humbling. I thought that by this time in my life, I would be more like a knight of the round table and less like Sancho Panza or Don Quixote, Man of La Mancha. I really thought that I'd be more like William Wallace, Braveheart, and less like Barney Fife. But you know, that's life. And, and, and so I say joyful desperation. There are times, church, when it's, it's, all, it's all joy. I mean, you can say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my body rejoices, my whole soul dwells secure, for you will not abandon me to CO or, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have filled me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Oh God, you're good, life is good. But then there are times when life is a struggle. You see, it's joyful despair. Your, your, your team doesn't always win the game. In the last 31 seconds of the contest, when the it's fourth and 12, and the receiver is forced out to the three-yard line, doesn't make it to the two-yard line, and it's over, and 500 billion people in the world are watching, most of whom are dressed in orange. It doesn't always end that way. Sometimes you lose. So it's, it's joyful desperation. Joy. So, so if, if you're joyful, times of difficulty will come. If you're in times of difficulty, the joy will come. But we live in a fallen world. And let me say from the outset that the part of the issue of, of, of being people who are devoted to prayer, there's several issues. One is we make it more difficult than it should be. But another is, is that we are surrounded by noise. There's an editorial in the Washington Post this two weeks ago on September the 21st. And the writer was quoting a man named Al Andrew Sullivan, who's a very good writer, and he says, Andrew Sullivan recently wrote this, and he just quotes the paragraph, if, if the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism or the pursuit of pleasure, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Christian leaders seem to think that they need more distraction to counter the distraction around them. Their services have degenerated into emotional spasms, their spaces drowned with light and noise and locked shut throughout the day when their darkness and silence might actually draw those whose minds and souls have grown web weary. Web weary. Noise. Access. Now, I thought about this little book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, written in 1961. supposed letters from a senior demon to a junior demon. And then letter 22 says this. Listen. The elder demon says, Music and silence, how I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father, the devil, Entered hell, no square inch of hell, and no moment of eternal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces, music or silence. But all has been occupied by noise noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and viral noise, which alone defends us from the silly qualms and ponderous questions and despairing scruples. And impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. The melodies and the silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. 1961. And I thought, what would Lewis say today in 2016? And our continuous 24-7 news and noise. He says, what I'm saying is that noise goes against the life of prayer, the life of thinking. I was even reading this week in the journal that when you have a book and you read a book and you touch it and you stop and you pause and you ponder, you learn more and you learn with greater insight than you do when you just read a blog and that's it. Noise. So I'm going to give you a a brief tutorial on prayer this morning to make some application statements. I'm going to go to the shorter catechism and send the worship guide. Question 178 asks this question, what is prayer? And here's the answer. It has five parts. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things that are agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with the confession of our sins and grateful acknowledgement of His tender mercies. That's a wonderful definition. Offering up of our desires to the Lord with things that are agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with the confession of our sins and grateful acknowledgement of of his tender mercies. I'm just going to take those one at a time. And I think that really these answer some of the major questions. The first question is, wh- where do I go with my concerns and my dreams and my wants and my hurts or the totality of my being? The answer is, you go to the Lord. You, is prayer is merely a coming to the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with our concerns and our desires and our wants and our questions. And they're living. In the book of Isaiah, the, the people of Judah were about to throw in the towel, and they said, It's just, they said, We're not, we're not really sure that, 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 that God hears us. We're not really sure that, that He's involved in our lives. And Isaiah upbraids them. Verse 27, He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and, and my right is disregarded by my God? How can you possibly say your way is hidden from God? He sees everything. And how can you say He's disregarded you? You're His people. And he gives this beautiful statement. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable or eternal. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even use faint and grow weary, and young men at the height of their virility fall down exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord, or look to Him, or trust Him, or go to Him, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now Isaiah says, you know, we need to wait upon the Lord. We need to go to the Lord with our desires and our petitions. And We ought to say with the psalmist in Psalm 62, find strength, O my soul, in God alone. He is my rock and my refuge. And so the first thing about prayer is we go to the Lord. Here I am, God, with my desires and concerns. And secondly, I do so with things that are agreeable to His will. What does that mean? Well, I think it means this is His will. So, so we, we pray when we pray the scripture. I, I, I pray the scripture every day. I'll, I'll take a passage and I'll just, I'll walk through it and, I, and, I, and it'll be my prayer book. You pray it unto the Lord. For example, there's a person I pray for almost every day. I made that commitment and I said, Psalm 91 is what I am praying through for this person. And so recently I was praying through Psalm 91 and it says this, verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is your refuge, no evil shall befall you and no plague come near your you. And I just stopped and said, God, I thank you that this person, I pray that in your kindness, he would make you his refuge and his source of strength and I, I thank you that you... If, if he does that, then, then everything that happens in his life will come through your hands and it will be for his welfare and not for his calamity to give him a future and a hope. And then the next verse says, for, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And I, just, I, I said, I thank you for this person that he has guardian angels around him and that you are watching over him, Savior, Shepherd, Mediator, Glorious Christ. So I just, I just, pray, through the, just pray through the Bible. I'll get a little index card and I'll write a name on it and I'll just put it in a little file. It's nothing fancy, just a group of index cards and I'll pray through these things. I want to be a, I want to be a person of prayer because I believe prayer is, it is a means of God's encouragement and empowerment and building me up as a follower of Christ. So I need to be saturated with the Bible and take particular promises and just pray over them and memorize them and think them and think them and ponder and ponder and ponder. Thirdly, we pray in the name of Christ, and that's central. We pray in the name of Christ. We don't come in our own strength, in our own obedience, in our own goodness, in our own heritage. We come only in the name of Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. And that's why Hebrews 4 in the New Testament is so vitally important. To the, since then, we have a great high priest, verse 14 Who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time. Lord, I, I, I come to you this morning. I come into the throne room of the Trinity in the name of Jesus. I come as recipient of the poured out grace of the cross, and I come with confidence, not because of me, but because He is my final, only High Priest. He is my mediator. And I pour out my request to you. I come to you praying for refreshment and encouragement and asking you to work. I've read recently this, that instinctively we are either confident in ourselves or despairing in ourselves. In both cases, we are paralyzed and not moving toward God. Either we're overconfident, say, well, I don't really need this, or we're despairing and be down, says, how can God love me? And in both cases, we miss the glory of the cross. I read the Bible and Jesus says, just ask. Come. He says, receive the kingdom like a little child. I love that because when he says receive the kingdom like a little child, children come messy. They they come with attention deficit disorder. They, They come with all types of, but they come with freedom and joy and trust and limited understanding, but they come. And so I just say, We come to the Lord messy with needs. We come to the Lord messy with inconsistencies and sin, but we come to him, we repent and we run to him. So come messy. If you wait until you're just right to get it together, you'll never come. He loves messy children who run to him. There's a statement from a wonderful book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller that says this. is in the worship guide. Prayer mirrors the gospel. In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus, and he gives us the gift of salvation. In prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives us the gift of his help. I love that. So we come as grace recipients. We come in the name of of Jesus. I'm a grace recipient. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. I was reading this week about the death of Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer died this week. Arguably one of the greatest and most well-known athletes of the last century, just uh, incredibly popular. And then I read an article in a nationwide newspaper about a man who wrote a tribute to Arnold Palmer. It's just kind of a story of grace. He said that he was uh, 1967, he was a teenager, and he was working a night shift during the summer at a local newspaper that was printed to just a few thousand people in the big newspaper. But he was able to secure a press pass, and he went to a local pro-am tournament where Arnold Palmer was playing at the height of his power. He's about 40 years old, 37, 40 years old. And he had something called Arnie's Army that followed him, if you follow golf off very long. There are other guys who have a few here, a few there. Arnold Palmer have thousands following him. Because he was kind and gracious and consistent, and he was good. And so he said, he's, he's standing there with a press pass, and he's behind the rope, and the marshals are guarding the crowd, telling them to be quiet. And he said, that right before Arnold Palmer's going to be to address the ball, he said, "I did something that was utterly stupid and unthinkable, and I don't know what came over me. But I ducked underneath the rope and I rope, and I went running up to Arnold Palmer with my ink pad and my ink pen." And I, I said, Mr. Palmer, I want, I want to ask you a question. And he said, Arnold Palmer looked up as the marshals came running toward me to tackle me. And he said, Son, what in the heck are you doing? And he said, I want to ask you a question. And Arnold Palmer waved the marshals off and he said, He said this. And here is the moment. Here's where Palmer would either motion for the marshals to carry me off of the course or he wouldn't. He kind of laughs at the absurdity of the situation. Who was dumb enough as a pro- at a professional golf event to duck under the ropes and approach a player as he's about to make a shot? And not just any player, but the most revered player in the game of golf. Palmer patiently answers the question. And as the marshals approach again, he gestures for them to stop. And then he nods for me to keep walking with him, and he gives the marshals a signal like, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay. Thus, for one magical day, a day that when it started, I had no reason to believe would be anything other than unexceptional I walked the entire golf course in the company of Arnold Palmer, asking him anything that came to mind, observing from a foot or two away everything he did, seeing as he turned to the other players and the crowd exactly what he saw through his own eyes. I read. Now that would be cool. And I thought, this is, that's just a statement of great receiving something you don't deserve. And my, my life is filled with those things, and so is yours. Just filled with those things. And so it, in prayer, is always coming in the name of Christ. It's a picture of grace. He, he, he receives me as I am because of Jesus. He does that. And he says this with the confession of our sins. In other words, we don't just say, hey, it's no big deal. Sin's a big deal. But we, as we see Jesus and we're in his presence, so say, I'm going to deal with my sin as part of prayer. We, we come with our desires. We pray according to his word in the name of Jesus, and we deal with our sins. The, the Proverbs writer says in Proverbs 28, whoever conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. Psalm 66 said, if I had, if I had entertained or kept or nurtured sin in my heart the Lord would not have heard me so, so I, I say when I'm going to deal with my stuff I'm going to do the right thing I confess my sin I confess it I deal with it and then fifthly says this with thankful acknowledgement of his tender mercies the mercies of the cross and in my mind always goes to Psalm 103 bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who heals all your diseases, who forgives all your sins, who, who, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns your years of loving kindness and tender mercies so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I said, wow. And whenever I read the Bible, I come away thinking, I am supposed to be a thankful person because of the tender mercies of the living God in my life. And I want to be thankful. And I will say to you, if you're over 30... The, the, the part of the spirit of our age is a spirit of cynicism and cynicism the way it's defined and lived out today not in classical Greek philosophy but the way it's lived out today cynicism is well nobody's doing anything right life is horrible nobody makes the right decision nobody has a consequential lifestyle it's all every man for himself yada yada that, that is the opposite of thanksgiving and I'll say to you fight it and, and People, well, I can't believe we're going to have these two choices in the presidential election. The country's going to the dogs. Fight that. Say, so, you know, I, I, I'm going to pray for whoever's elected. And I'm praying for the candidates now. You, you have the spirit of James 1 that says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And you say, my life counts. And life is consequential. And God is called me to live in 2016 to his glory in this city, in this neighborhood, for the benefit of those around me. I'm glad cynicism didn't reign in the life of the man I'm getting ready to tell you about. In March of 1964, something happened in New York that absolutely startled the nation. There's a woman named Kitty Genovese who left her job and went home at early in the morning hours. It was a cold night in Queens, New York. People had their windows shut. And as she entered into her apartment, a man who had gotten out of his bed an hour before, uh, who was 29 years of age, had three children, said he wanted to go out and kill somebody. And so he saw this young woman who, who was 28 going into her apartment complex. He came up behind her and he started stabbing her. And she cried out, somebody please help me. Somebody help me. He's killing me. And light started going on and... The police believe the 38 to 39 people heard her cry for help. One man did raise his window, says, "Leave that poor girl alone," and the man fled. And she fell in the doorway, unable to unlock the door to the apartment complex, and nobody came to her aid. One person called the police. 15 minutes later, the man came back and saw her there and took his knife and finished his deed. And the whole nation was thunderstruck. How could 37 or 38 people do absolutely nothing? Well, a couple days later in Denison, Texas, a town of 22,000, there was a young man eating his breakfast. He was in the eighth grade. And this was a very unusual young man. His father was a dentist. His mom was a schoolteacher. The next year he was going to be told he qualified for the Mensa Society the Mensa Society is, some, is, is, a, is a society for people with incredibly high IQs. is something that most of you have never heard of, and there's a reason for that. Um, the Mensa Society, he was, he was head of the Latin Club. He was first chair of flautist in the Denison Orchestra, an accomplished young man. He would go to the Air Force Academy and serve in the nation's Air Force. But he says in his book that as an 8th grader, he was reading this account, and he says this, I made a pledge to myself then at the age of 13 in the 8th grade that if I was ever in a situation where someone such as Kitty Genovese needed my help, I would choose to act. Not No one in danger would ever be abandoned because I didn't do the right thing. And so you fast forward to August, excuse me, January the 15th, 2009. Flight 1549 left New York. Birds flew into both engines. Both engines shut down. And this man, who was pilot, an incredibly gifted pilot, landed in the Hudson River. 155 people were all saved from catastrophe. And when everyone was off the boat, he walked up and down the length of the plane twice, looking in every crevice to make sure everybody was gone before he left. Of course, there's a movie about him called Sully now, but his name is Sullenberger. He was interviewed two weeks later on Nationwide TV, and this is what he said. He said, one way of looking at this event might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training, and on January the 15th, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a withdrawal. Uh, I thought, you know, thanks be to God that he didn't grow up a cynic, that understood that what he did, is doing right now counts for the future. And as believers, we step back and we say, we don't want to give in to cynicism, we want to be thankful. We want to live with purpose and dignity and resolve. And I believe prayer feeds that. And that's why I want to be devoted to Prayer. Now, now, very quickly, I'm going to give you five application statements. I'm just going to run through this. N- number one, prayer is difficult because we live in an age of noise. You can be discouraged because you compare yourself to people that do X, Y, and Z. I'm just saying, come as a child and trust. But, but just, just come. Don't be put off by people who say things that I I sometimes... Martin Luther, I love Martin Luther. He made a comment one time. He said, today was such a busy day that I only spent three hours in prayer. And I'm going, really? I mean, really, Martin? I mean, so as I've gone older, I think when he that he continually had an attitude of prayer. He had times where he prayed and stopped, but but, but, uh, prayer was... Martin Luther also said one time, just as an aside, he said, I go through the Gospels every day. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, the twenty-eight chapters in Matthew. John has twenty-one. I mean, sixteen marks, Mark, twenty-three. I mean, there's a lot of chapters. I went, really, Martin? You went through the Gospels every day? Are you? Are you really did that? And then I read years later, he had, he had a beer mug. And he, the first quarter, he named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He he went through that beer mug every day. But you don't know that now. Since we're, we're Baptists, I'm sure it was Mountain Dew. But that's what he did. You know. <laughs> So, so don't, don't be put off. So just, just, just come as a child. Number, number two, this what I, I do this. I exercise what people call breath prayers. One of the breath prayers is very famous. It says, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on my soul. Another breath prayer would be, Lord, save me from myself. Sometimes I'm with my wife and she'll say, what did you say? And I'll say, uh, I was talking to myself. I was breathing a breath prayer. God, have mercy upon us. God, bless this, bless this individual. I'll go from stoplight to stoplight just praying for different issues in my life, different people around me, but, but it, it's just, you, you do that. It's a life of prayer. I want to. Thirdly, find a quiet place and a quiet time and make it your own. I'm a morning person. So I find a quiet place and a quiet time and I just, I read the Bible and I'll pray prayers as I read the Bible. And I've got a few little index cards, and I'll pray over a few little index cards. I've got a list of, oh, well, I don't tell you what I've got a list of, but I, that's what I do. And I'm quiet, though, just outside or on the other side of the house or in some place where nobody can really get to you or bother you, whether it's at night or morning. But find a quiet place in a quiet time. There's no, that's what you've got to do. If you read the book of Mark and just circle how many times Jesus slipped away to pray. Someone said there's never been a more prayer-dependent person in the history of the world than Jesus. Think about that. And he models it for us. So it's a quiet place. And I was thinking the other day about, about when I was growing up, how libraries have changed. When I was growing up, if you spoke in a library, people picked you up and threw you out. Remember that? And now you go to the library and people are hollering across the way, hey, you doing what's going on? See the game last night? It's just a different thing. But I thought how libraries are mirroring our culture of noise. I need quiet. I need quiet. Number four, pray the Bible. Pr- pray the Bible. i read a psalm. I'll pray the psalm. i go to Colossians and I'll read the prayers of Paul in Colossians and I'll pray those prayers. I run out of words frequently, but the Bible's there. Fifthly, have a system. Don't get overwhelmed. Have a system. Just a few index cards or, or a couple of sheets that you carry in the back of your journal or in the and with you and you just have different things. But 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 people pray. And then fifthly or sixthly, have a prayer team. Some people you just pray with. Maybe your community group, your men's group, your man-to-man table, women's group. Uh, but you, I I call them my two o'clock in the morning Waffle House friends. When life falls apart and hits the skids, who can I call to meet me at two o'clock in the morning? Just to pray. See, once again, prayer is a means of empowerment and grace. Be devoted to. Take the next step. For example, Tuesday night we have what we call First Tuesday. We as a church just get together and we pray for about 45 minutes or an hour. It's just prayer. It's just calling out to God with our desires in accordance with His Word, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing our sins, and grateful acknowledging His mercies, and asking that His kingdom come and His will be done in our lives. And, and, and I, I, I need to do that. I need to be a person of prayer. Because it's God's means of, of building me and strengthening me, so I can represent Him to the culture around me. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank You for the This statement in Acts about devoted to prayer. And prayer is difficult at times. Prayer is, um, it goes against our ceaseless activity culture. But thank you, Jesus, that you stepped apart often just to pray. And thankful for for that. So I pray that we be people who love to quietly reflect upon your goodness and to call out for your mercy and to pray for those around us. I pray we'd be devoted to prayer. I pray that as we live in this culture with so many issues and so many questions and so many things coming at us, that, that, Lord, we'd be people of prayer. And as we pray that you would empower us to live for you and to love people because we won't be that. We won't do that. So bless your name today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.